Welcome to the Outpost Bible Church podcast. My name is Pastor Alex Rodriguez. The Outpost Bible Church seeks to see men and women delivered by Christ, discipled in Christ, and deployed for Christ in His kingdom. Our values are to be Christ-centered, gospel-driven, scripturally grounded, prayerfully dependent, and mission-focused. Here, you will be able to find all of our Sunday morning and Sunday evening sermons. God bless. Father God, we come before you this morning in the powerful name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, the Great Sovereign, the one who is seated on the throne, ruling and reigning victoriously, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we open your word now, and as we look into it, Lord, we ask that you would supernaturally, by your Holy Spirit, grab hold of our hearts and focus them, incline them heavenward. That you would remove the noise, that you would remove the distraction, that you would remove the cares of this world and all the things that weigh us down, perhaps all the things we want to get home to do. And here and now, our minds would be focused on you, Lord Jesus. That as we look in your word, you would open our eyes and that we would see your glory, your beauty, your wonder, your excellencies. That you would give us eyes of faith to see how glorious you are. That as a church, you would grab hold of us and unite our hearts to both fear your name and treasure it above all. That you would satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast, unchanging love. That you would lead us into truth in a world that is permeated by lies. That you would bring comfort to the brokenhearted, encouragement to those who are feeling weak. That you would take hold of our hearts and the through the preaching of the word and conform us more into the image of Jesus, preparing us for glory. And for those perhaps who are here this morning who do not know you, Lord Jesus, in a saving way, that you would take the proclamation of the word of God and give them new hearts that they would become children of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a quick announcement, there's been a lot going on in the life of our church, and so just so everybody knows, and Jack preaching next week, we are going to take a break from Luke until the beginning of January, because life is just life, and we need to not hold so tightly sometimes to our plans, and allow the Lord to be the one who governs and directs the ship. So with that, let's begin now. Have you ever had a time in your life when things were so overwhelming that you couldn't sleep? Have there been times when you were so preoccupied with a problem that you weren't even able to function, you felt almost paralyzed by it? Have there been issues in your life that seem to, to dominate your every waking thought and you are almost feeling like you're a zombie just walking about in a daze? If so, then you've experienced anxiety, worry, something that is common to all men and women in this world. The question that we need to ask is what do we do with the anxiety that we face in this life? Because it's there. And in order to answer that question, we need to go to the only place where there is truth found, and that is the Word of God. 
because it only the word of God can truly answer what does a person do when worry and anxiety begins to fill the heart. And so what we're going to see today is that for the follower of Jesus, through prayer, the peace of God is given to us and it is the answer to our anxiousness. Through prayer, the peace of God is given to us and is the answer to our anxiousness. So please take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> And this, these two verses are precious to me. They were the first two verses I think I ever memorized. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And I strongly believe to the very depths of my being that these two verses are not only important for the life of the believer, but we live in a world, we live in a society now where anxiety seems to be multiplying exponentially. Everybody is dealing with anxiety, or everybody's being told they're dealing with anxiety. And what the world's answer to anxiety is, is medication. And I just want to preface what I'm about to say. I'm not to say that there isn't ever a scenario, perhaps, where there could be medication required. I'm not saying that. But by and large, the anxiety that is most common to man doesn't need a prescription bottle. It needs the Word of God and the Spirit of God in their hearts. And so these two verses are extremely important for everyone. And as you go out into the world and as you witness and just walk through the relationships with the people you have, this is where we need to keep bringing people back to what God says here in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. So let's read our, our passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In order to understand a little bit about why Paul wrote that, we need to set the stage and understand the context surrounding this letter to the Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing it from a prison in Rome. And Paul has this letter written for the church in Philippi, which is a precious church to him. You can just, as you read the letters, feel tangibly the love that Paul has for them. And he writes this letter to encourage them. And if you were to read Philippians chapter 1, we would see that Paul's concern is for their continued growth in the faith. And the church in Philippi, is a healthy church by and large, but they are facing some challenges. Philippi, this church, is situated in a mini-Rome, you could say. And Roman citizenship was a source of great pride in that area. So if you walked through the streets of Philippi, it would ring with Roman language, Roman customs at every corner, Roman fashion throughout the marketplace on display. To live in Philippi was to live in Rome. But as that one phrase goes, Rome has nothing to do with Jerusalem. So the moral fabric of Philippi is at ends 
with fidelity to Christ. Religiously, Philippi would be considered a melting pot. And the emperors were venerated to this godlike status. A variety of Greek and Roman cults had made their way into Philippi. There was Egyptian cults there as well for Isis and Osiris. Very much, Philippi would be the place where everybody would have the coexist bumper sticker. All the flags with all the colors would be flying at every corner. It would be very much, let's be inclusive at all costs. Unless you have an exclusive belief, then we're not going to be inclusive toward you. So it's very similar to the society that we live in. So if you're a Christian there, and you acknowledge Jesus as divine, and you say that he alone is the one true God, there is going to be a strong tension. You are going to be seen as a bigot, as intolerant, as closed-minded. We've seen the parallels. We're never told specifically what the trials that they faced in Philippi are. But here's what we do read in chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So we see Paul encouraging them, hold the line, be faithful. Don't be bullied. Don't get scared. For as you stay true to Christ, it will be a witness to those who are telling you to compromise. That's the sermon right there, we could say. If we think about it, that's what we need to be hearing. So the church in Philippi, these are a people that would have been tempted to be consumed by worry and by anxiousness. And so this is why Paul tells them here at the end of his letter, don't be anxious about anything. All that stuff happening outside, it's just noise. Don't let it, work, don't let it fill your heart. We live in a society where those same pressures are there. We not only have the things going on in the world pressing in against us, but we also, just like the, the, the church in Philippi, we have the natural cares of the world, things that are happening in our lives that are pressing in. So it's battles on two fronts. And so we need to hear what they heard. Do not be anxious about anything, which brings us now to our first point. Our first point is the presence of, of anxiousness. Verse 6a. Do not be anxious about anything. Now this may seem like a self-evident truth, but it's important that Paul is acknowledging that anxiousness is a real thing. It isn't some made-up thing. It's real. Sometimes as, as believers, we tend to minimize that. 
And what I mean by minimizing it is somebody says, you know, I'm really struggling with anxiousness. Well, you're just not focused on Jesus enough. That's a true statement, but we actually didn't acknowledge that, that anxiousness is real. And it's vicious. Paul acknowledges it. Don't be anxious about anything. By saying, by, by saying that statement, he's saying, I get it. It's there. It's, in, it's sitting in your, in your living room. Don't walk around and think nobody's on the couch. There's someone there. It's something that each of us has to face and deal with. It's an anxiousness that is common to all men. Which again then means, he's writing to Christians, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not immune to anxiousness. But it means that it doesn't need to be a paralyzing disease. We're not immune to anxiousness showing up, but we do have a choice whether we open the door and let them in. Anxiety is part of this fallen world. It does, it's real, it's there. It doesn't mean it's right, but it's there. Being concerned about something is not the same thing as being anxious about it. Let me make that qualifier as well. Concern is good. There are things that concern us, whether it's financial concerns, health concerns, relational concerns. Concerns are, are not wrong. Anxiety, though, that's different. Anxiety is an unhealthy concern about things. We're going to unpack that here in a minute. But I want to be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned what I'm saying is that God, not what I'm saying, what God is saying in his word, it's not saying that it's wrong to be concerned. What God is declaring in his word is that you shouldn't be filled with anxiousness. So what do we mean when he says here, do not be anxious about anything? What does that word anxious even mean? Well, if you were to look at the original languages, all it means is to be concerned about a thing. Strongly concerned. Well, that doesn't sound bad. In that sense, the word anxious is pretty good. This is really important, church. This is why doing word studies in your Bible time is not sufficient. Because if you just take the definition of a word and try to say and, and plug that in, you're missing the context. Context shapes meaning. For example, the word for temptation and trial is the same word in the original languages. So we need the context to help us understand what's going on here. Is this a test from the Lord or a trial from Satan? So here, do not be anxious about anything. Paul is using it in a negative sense. He, what he's trying to say here is it means to be focused on the cares of life to the extent that it's disturbing your ability to live faithfully before the Lord. You are so weighed down by your circumstances that that's all you see. Anxiousness is to worry. Every homeschool family probably owns a copy of the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Big, huge, green dictionary. It's the standard because the dictionaries today are perverting English language. Listen to the word, what the word worry is defined by in the 1828 Webster's, which is a synonym for, for anxiety. It means to fatigue, to harass with labor, 
to harass by pursuit and barking as dogs worry sheep, to tear, to mangle with the teeth, to vex, to persecute brutally. That's what anxiousness does. It's that barking dog harassing sheep. Even though the sheep are in the pen and the shepherd has the staff, it seeks to rip you apart and leave you for dead. It seeks to brutally persecute you. Anxiousness is a cruel master. And the only reason it is a master over a believer is because we submit to its yoke. Because we have been freed from that. Now he says, do not be anxious about anything. Literally, it means, do not be anxious, not even one thing. In the Greek, that word anything is put at the front of the sentence. That's called the emphatic position. Because it really wants us to see that this is the focus. There is not an absolute, there is not a single thing under God's created world that should drive you to anxiety. That should drive you to anxiousness. I don't want us to gloss over that. Paul is saying there is nothing, nothing, nothing that should keep us in a state of anxiousness. We may trip and fall into the ditch of anxiousness, but we need to get ourselves right out. So often we trip and fall into the ditch of anxiousness, and then we just sit there whining and holding ourselves. I fell, I fell. Get up, get out by the strength of the Lord. So Paul says, stop worrying. Do not worry about under any circumstances in this way. The Lord Jesus gives us a beautiful framework to understand the biblical definition of anxiousness. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not this life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you with little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In that passage we just read, there are a variety of circumstances that could cause the follower of Jesus to worry, to be anxious. 
food, clothing, shelter. It's not like it is today. They're not stopping out at Walmart of Bethlehem and getting stuff. It wasn't like that. Winter's coming, you might have only one coat back then. So there's plenty there to, to have them worry, to have them anxious, to have them questioning, doubting. Circumstances that are pressing in where people are going to say, what am I going to do? Those questions are nothing new. The same questions you ask in those moments of crisis where worry, anxiousness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's not new. But what Paul makes clear, and what this passage in Matthew 6, our Lord Jesus makes clear, is that when those thoughts begin to fill your head, when they begin to fill your heart, you don't let them take root. The Apostle Peter jumps in on the anxiousness conversation. Which would be fitting, Peter always seems to jump in conversations. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here it is. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Our Lord Jesus has broad shoulders. He can carry your anxieties. Now all that sounds good, but we, we're people. We battle with the flesh. If you're like me, I ask lots of questions. All right, Paul, I hear you and it sounds good, but how can you tell me to not be anxious about anything? I could even accept don't be anxious about most things. But you're saying don't be anxious about anything at all? Like, at all, at all? The reason Paul could say that is this, church. Anxiousness is when you see your circumstances as bigger and more powerful than your God. Anxiousness is when you see your circumstances as bigger and more powerful than your God. Anxiousness is what happens when we don't know or we forget who God is. Let's just run through a quick bio here of who God is. Our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. He's faithful. He's loving. He's righteous. He's holy. He's truth. He's wisdom. He's good. He's just. He's sovereign. He's unchanging, and he's working all things for the good for those who have been called according to his purposes. If we really keep that at the forefront of our hearts, how could we be anxious? Whatever comes our way in this life comes from the sovereign, loving hand of our perfectly wise God. It's when we forget that or stop trusting in that that anxiousness takes up residence. Again, I'm not trying to minimize the circumstances that enter our lives. I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty that they present. I'm not saying that we simply sit in our room with our Bibles open, pray, and sing Kumbaya. We have responsibility. If it's a financial thing that's trying to press you, you still have to go to work. You still got to balance a checkbook. You still got to send a check, and I get it. You still got to go to the doctor if it's medical. You still have to have the hard conversations if it's relational. I'm not minimizing what we have to do. But what I'm saying is the heart posture in where we take care of these things is not one of worry, but of worship. Remembering who our God is. There is nothing in your life 
There is no anxiety that is bigger than God. So we have to make sure to not allow the cares of the world to become so big in our hearts, in our minds, that it overshadows God's word. Because when that happens, God's word ceases to be fruitful and powerful in our lives. A lot of times, anxiousness and the worry is like the little child who left some clothes thrown on a chair and at night it casts this big shadow and they think it's a monster. And they deceive themselves into thinking there's this big monster, this big thing. When you turn the light on, you see the truth. I just didn't put my clothes away. So often the anxiousness in our hearts, Tony's laughing, maybe not just kids. <laughs> so often we don't turn the light of God's word on. And so these things appear bigger and more scary than they really are. But when we flip the switch of God's word and we see them by truth, we recognize there's nothing there that really needs to worry us. Don't allow God's word to become unfruitful in your life because you're focused on the circumstances that want to lead you to worry and anxiousness. Now, this command, Paul didn't say, don't be anxious about anything and just stop there. It leads to something else. He tells us in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. That's the key, church. Paul's not just saying, don't be anxious about anything. You know, positive thinking, just think the right thoughts and you'll be good. No, you take it to the Lord. In everything, you go to prayer. Anxiousness is carrying a burden that God never intended you to bear. And prayer is what gives you the power to be free from the anxiety. So this brings us to our second point, the power of prayer. Point number two, the power of prayer. The first point was the presence of anxiousness. But in everything, by prayer. How do you combat because anxiousness, that anxiety, it's there. you got to look at it like an enemy. This is combat. Anxiety wants to pull you away from the Lord, pull you into your sin. An enemy's at knocking on your heart, and you have to go to combat, and you chiefly fight anxiousness, worry, by praying. Or to give a different illustration, if anxiousness was a fire, then prayer is the water that puts it out. Now, what is prayer? It sounds simple enough, but even the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray. And I've had believers in our church here asking, like, I really don't know this whole praying thing. We could really make that a big conversation. It's a whole sermon series, the different types of prayer. But at the most basic level, Prayer is talking to your Father in heaven. Let me qualify talking to your Father in heaven reverently. But it's talking to your Father. That means it can be done anywhere during, at any time. It can be done as an individual. It can be done as corporately as we gather. It can be done out loud. It can be done in your head. You don't need to go to temples. You don't need to go to churches to pray. You have access to God every, anywhere all the time because of what Jesus Christ did. Prayer is a gift of the gospel. God is available to you 24-7, 365. 
unlike us, he never hits the ignore button on your phone call. You have access to, to talk to your Father in heaven always. You wake up at 3 a.m. in a cold sweat because that thing is worrying you, guess what? He's not sleeping. You talk to him. Something at work, a bomb just went off at work. What am I going to do? You're on your way. You're walking to that boardroom, that meeting. What am I going to do? The email just came in. Go to prayer right then. He's available. Don't overcomplicate prayer. Kind of funny in light of Lance not being here, what I'm about to say, but you don't need to use big words. He's not against them, but you don't need to big, use big, fancy words. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said. Come with the faith of a child. Come wherever you're at. This is why a child at five years old can pray to God and he listens, delights in that prayer, and will answer prayers of children. Is it wrong to, to, to pray with big words? And No, that's natural for you, yeah. But don't feel that you need to manufacture a certain vocabulary for prayer. It's not what God's looking for. You don't need to pray with a thesaurus open. You don't need to pray in Old English. Just pray, just talk to Him. The way you talk to a father, truly. Come as you, what the Lord wants isn't fancy words. What he wants is your heart. Give the Lord your heart in prayer. Through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, not only did we receive forgiveness, not only are we justified and all those other adopted, all these things, but the veil was torn from the top down. The Spirit of God indwells We've been granted an access that I don't think we understand. Here and now, the Lord is hearing all that we're doing. He's present. You know, it gets even more astounding. Not only is prayer a gift of the gospel, but how many, I don't know if you ever thought about it, you were saved to pray. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You were saved to do that very thing. God simply didn't save you to be forgiven. God didn't save you to be justified. God didn't save you to have a really great theological library and read lots of books, God saved you that you would come to the throne of grace, that you would cry out to him, that you would pray. It's not a stretch to say, show me your prayer life and I'll show you the strength and size of your faith. And a, a Christian that doesn't pray needs to ask himself, am I really a Christian? I'm not saying we don't have seasons where we struggle. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to see some people are just prayer warriors. They're always in it. That's not what I'm saying either. Don't judge yourself by the person to your left or right. But are you a person who seeks to speak to your Father in heaven? Because you were saved for it. There's an invitation there to draw near to the throne of grace. 
The God who created and upholds the Milky Way not only lets us approach him, but desires for us to approach him. Do you see how that begins to make you really realize, why am I being anxious and worried right now? The one who said, let there be light, can surely handle the circumstances that we're struggling with. The all-powerful God has given you his phone number. We'll always pick up. He does ignore his children when they call. I think sometimes we're just afraid to pick up the phone. He says, in everything by prayer, then he says, with supplication. That's one of those older Bible words we don't use very often now. But it's a precious, beautiful word. It means to bring your needs to God. It means to actually ask Him for help. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. So we come and we bring our request because that is who He is. He is a merciful, comforting God. That's going to require humility. If God's not saying, hey, cast all your burdens and anxieties on me once you've exhausted all your own strength and try to solve the problem completely on your own. When you get to your wit's end, then come to me because, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's unbiblical. The minute something comes up, just, just like you bring your sin to the cross, you bring your anxiety to the cross. We glorify God when we say, Father, I can't, but you can. Please help. And also, don't fall into the, to the pit of thinking, you know what? I feel so foolish bringing this to the list. It's such a small thing that's weighing me down. Ugh, I can't believe this small thing is causing me so much anxiety and stress. I don't even want to pray about that because it's so silly. No, what's silly is not giving it to the Lord. So don't fall into that pit either. Bring everything, he says. He says it right here. But in everything by prayer and supplication. There are no small prayers. Don't believe that lie. So pray with supplication. But then he says to supplication, and he goes on, with thanksgiving. It's a word we're familiar with. It means, it means to express gratitude. It's the quality of being grateful. Dr. John Piper, in his devotional Godward Life, says this, quote, How can we not be thankful when we owe everything to God? End quote. Now, it seems a bit odd that when circumstances are crashing down on you and anxiousness is welling up in your heart, that you should be like, thank you. So thankful. That seems odd at first. How is that possible, Paul? Why are you saying to be thankful in the midst of a storm? The reason Thanksgiving has to be woven into the tapestry of your prayer life is because no matter how bad it gets, if you're unable to express thankfulness, you're missing what God has done for you. The Christian life is a life of thanksgiving. Therefore, thanksgiving should never be absent from our prayers. 
Thanksgiving is often lacking in our prayers because there is a lack of understanding who God is, what He's already done for us, what He's presently doing for us, and what He will do for us in the future. Thanksgiving is often lacking because we think God should answer our prayers the way we say He should. God is not our servant, we're His. We are His slaves. And we have to be thankful because it's also coming from His sovereign hand. Everything that comes into your life, the heart especially, came from the hand of God. It's part of His will, part of His purpose, part of your sanctification, part of the conforming you into the image of Christ. God uses the school of hard knocks to prepare us for an eternal glory. We bear witness to that today in light of what happened this week to our brother. I can tell you this, the last three weeks where Lance, where Lance struggled so mightily is physical sickness. I had never seen Lance more focused on the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you one thing, he wasn't Lance wasn't complaining, which was astounding in light of how he used to complain about things. But in, that, in those two minutes in his fourth quarter of life, there wasn't a complaint. There was a complete, I'm just submitting that this is God's will. And God is kind. And God is good, he said. So we have thankfulness no matter what's happening because it comes from a sovereign, perfectly wise God. And he's using it to prepare you for an eternal glory. He controls all things. Romans 8.28, that precious promise. That he works all things for the good, for those who love him are called according to his purposes. Trust in God's word when those hard circumstances come. Don't trust in anything else. Don't trust in the wisdom of men. Don't trust in your perception of what's happening. Bury your face in the word of God and pray the scriptures back to him. Difficulties in this life are part of God's good, redemptive purposes. Therefore, to not be thankful is to functionally deny that God is good and that God is bringing about an eternal good. When you don't pray with thankfulness, you're praying like an atheist. And I say that as someone who struggles with that himself. Not saying it as someone who's got that figured out. He says, let your requests be made known. Present tense command. Keep praying. Keep making your requests known. Paul's saying, don't lose heart. Persevere in prayer. Don't just throw it up once and then be like, you know, I don't want to burden, I don't want to burden God. No. Make those requests known. There's actually, the Lord Jesus actually powerfully illustrates this perseverance in prayer in Luke chapter 18. Turn there with me. It's the parable of the persistent widow. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And he, speaking of Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, 
Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. We must persist in prayer in such a manner. <clears throat> Years ago when my wife wasn't walking with the Lord, and admittedly I wasn't exactly walking with the Lord in the strongest way either, I was living in this really old, rundown home and didn't have TV, just had an old radio. And the only station that would come up was Moody Radio. <laughs> Mom had a good laugh back then on that. And I think it was Dr. Tony Evans who just said, hey, here's this prayer challenge. For 28 days straight, just pray for that person you want to come to faith. I was like, well, pray for Margaret. I was praying and praying multiple times throughout the day. I took him at his word. You know what Dr. Evans said? Prayed, prayed. And what would you know? All of a sudden, Margaret and I started having conversations about Jesus. I'm not going to say God always answers in a 28-day period. I'm not saying that's a formula. What I'm saying is that when we persist in prayer, what we're evidencing first is that the truthfulness of our petition and secondly, we're trusting that God will act accordingly to his will. God saved my wife. I was praying repeatedly during that time for my father to come to faith. The Lord saved my father. You want to know if you really want something? Persist in prayer. Well, can you persist in prayer for that thing? Christmas is rolling around. How many kids are like, I want this for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. I just want it so bad. Then you give it to them like 48 hours later, they're not playing with it anymore. Right? They were enticed by what it is, but it wasn't a deep desire of the heart necessarily. So often we're like little kids. We want this thing. We throw it up. We're, but will you persist in prayer? Will you keep making your request known to God? Do you have the faith that God is listening, that God will act according to his will and for your good? God is sovereign and has determined to work in and through the prayers of his people. Our circumstances will either make us anxious or thankful. Your view of God determines which one you fall into. Which brings me to an important point when it's prayer. You have to pray by faith. Prayer is not a recipe. It's not a mechanism. right? It's not a gumball machine. I put the quarter of prayer in, turn the knob, and the answer comes out. We have to be praying in faith to God. He is the object of our faith. So often people think prayer is this magical thing. It's not a magical spell. The power isn't in prayer. The power is in God. Prayer is the means by which we communicate to him. So he must pray in faith. A man who mentored me once said, quote, prayer is taking your troubles to God. Faith is leaving them there. End quote. Prayer is the answer to anxiousness, beloved. So we must go to God first. We must go to God frequently. and We must hold nothing back. He knows our hearts. Therefore, let us give him our hearts. 
Anxiousness seeks to take up residence in the heart of the believer, but prayer gives it an eviction notice. You can actually think about it this way. The things that are causing your anxiety are actually giving you reason to pray. Turn your anxieties into your prayers. The more you cultivate a life of prayer, the less your life will be one of anxiousness and worry. We still need to look at verse 7. Point number three, the presence of peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. God's not a worry wart. I've said it before. Our God is free from worry. He's the God of shalom. You know, peace isn't a feeling necessarily, by the way. It's a state of being. Circumstances are going to cause your heart to race, palms to get sweaty. But you still have peace in the Lord. The sovereign God is always at peace, never wringing his hands. He's never pacing the hallways of heaven. He's never biting his nails or restlessly shaking his leg. And Paul says that peace that God has, that's yours in Christ. It's the peace that flows from God's very nature. It's not that God possesses peace. God is peace. And that peace means the peace that we're given is an all-sufficient peace. You don't need God's peace plus something else. If God has given you His peace, the anxiousness and worry is done. What a promise. Christ wasn't anxious when He was on the cross. You ever think about that? You ever think about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, as He hung on the cross, absorbing the full wrath of God for sinners, was in perfect peace? Because He was completely given over into the hands of his, the will of His Father and trusting Him? That peace that sustained Jesus on the cross is the peace that is given to us by faith. That's why Paul says, that it surpasses all understanding. Surpasses, right? That's why it carries the sense to rise above, to expel, to be, uh, excel, to be of overall greater value, quality, to be supreme in all comprehension. It, it defies intellect. It defines man's rational capabilities. It's unexplainable. When you put it all together, it means that this peace is a supernatural and incomprehensible peace to the world. This peace cannot be explained apart from God. This peace cannot be fully understood by the natural man. This peace is so amazing that all we can do is stand back with our hands over our mouths and say, only the Lord. I witnessed this peace firsthand in the hospital. The nurses witnessed that peace as well. They asked Susan about it. I picked this passage essentially because our church celebrates and grieves together. Our church grows together. It was that divine supernatural peace that was very present 
at the hospital. But we have to understand this incomprehensible divine peace is not for everybody. It is only for those who have come to Christ by faith. You can put it this way, the peace of God is only for those who have peace with God. Brothers and sisters, this peace in our soul is a blessing. It's a gift. Did we not just sing, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This last point is quick. Point number three, the protection in our Savior. Well, he says in verse 7b, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is a Savior who guards you. He protects, he keeps, he holds secure, he keeps watch over. Anxiousness is an enemy that is brutal. And so the Apostle Paul says the word guard here. Remember, he's also in jail. It's also under Roman occupation. So this military term would resonate deeply with Paul and with Philippi. Paul's chained to Roman soldiers. The Philippians live in a colony dominated by military veterans. And so Paul is almost making the point here, it isn't Rome who guards you. It's the peace of our omnipotent, sovereign God who guards you. And he guards you in and through his Son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And he guards you with his peace. The peace that's being described here is almost depicted as a soldier on a mission. He's in the watchtower, and when the enemy of anxiousness comes, if we've given ourselves over to the Lord by faith, that peace gets rid of, disperses that enemy. Anxiousness wants to mount this hostile invasion. It wants to start fires of doubt in the fields. It wants to, he, feel, he wants to leave us feeling hopeless and, and have a godless perspective. But for the man or woman of God who is submitted to the Spirit of God and has their heart rooted in the Word of God, anxiousness has no victory. Because you are guarded by Christ. And He guards your heart and mind. Your, your heart, that part of you where, where emotions flow from, where intentions flow from, where your rational ability flows from, because your mind can perceive truth, but the heart doesn't want to be rational. It doesn't matter what you know. God's peace through Christ guards against emotions such as despondency, anger, fear, frustration from taking control. It guards against those very things because those things are not in line with the will of God. So he guards your heart. He says he guards your mind. The part that seeks to try to apply understanding and reasoning. You ever notice that in the midst of anxiousness, worry, fear, all of those things, it almost seems like people turn their brains off. Loosely paraphrasing, it's in the Proverbs where the man doesn't want to work. He's like, there's a lion in the streets. Right? You see things that are bigger than they really are. The Lord Jesus stands guard over your mind. 
You've been given the mind of Christ. He's not leaving us to our own imaginations. Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he guards you in that sense. He gives you that. So when you put the fact that Jesus guards your hearts and minds, what it's saying is he guards the totality of who you are. Not one part is left unguarded. You are guarded in Christ. True peace is found in a person. That is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's the only way. It's a one-way street. If you want to get to Peaceville, you have to go down Christ Avenue. That's it. When we rest in being united with Christ, we know that we are protected in Christ. Without Jesus, there's no peace for us. If you would have told me 15 years ago that prepositions would be such a big deal, I would have laughed. I probably would have laughed because I wouldn't know what a preposition is. But praise God for that preposition, that word in. Because in Christ means I have a new identity. And that identity is Jesus. You and I are no longer characterized by imperfections. You're hidden in him, in the person of Christ. When God the Father looks down on you, he doesn't see your failures, your fears, your worries, your anxieties. What does he see? He sees the perfect righteousness of his son, and he gives that perfect love he has for the son to you. Because in Christ, your relationship is restored. The world we live in tries to offer all these approaches to peace. It's interesting. With the plethora, the buffet tables of solutions they have, it's one of the most anxious times in human history. Suicides on the rise. Seems like medication makes you miserable, not complete. Because that completeness is only found in Christ. So no matter what you're facing, when you run to God in faithful prayer, when you pour out your needs to him, when you are thankful for what you're experiencing, when you rest in who Christ is and what he's done for you, then the very peace of God is poured into your life and you are protected by it. You know, one of the things that I love since becoming a pastor here at the Outpost is that I, I see ourselves to be a praying church. Now, we can always be praying more and we need to figure out now that we have a building how to get the prayer meeting back but we are a praying church. It's one of the things that defines us. God's promise is peace to those who prayerfully come to him. Listen to what Psalm 55.2 says. What a promise is Psalm 55.2. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Attend to me. Answer me. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Now I'll go to verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. In the beginning, verse 2, God answer me. At the end of the psalm, the promise, he'll sustain you. He hears you. He's got you. Let me close by saying this. We've opened the word of God and God has declared to us that if we are followers in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He stands ready to remove our anxiousness by giving us his peace through prayer. But if you're sitting here today and you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then that peace isn't available to you. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because if you were to confess that you're a sinner and that your sin is separated from you from God, if you recognize that you've incurred his judgment, but if you repent of that sin and cry out to God for mercy and place your faith solely in the perfect life, substitutionary death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then something amazing happens right here, right now. You're not only forgiven, but you also get God's peace. That's the promise that stands before you this morning. I close with the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now thanking you that in a world that seeks to swallow us up with worry and fear and anxiousness, you have told us, don't be anxious about anything. Come to me in prayer. Come to me with prayers of thanksgiving. And through my son, I will give you peace and I will guard your heart and mind. Thank you, Lord, for caring so deeply Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that in the midst of the world feeling sometimes like it's falling apart, we know the world doesn't fall apart because you are the God who holds it together. I pray for all who are today struggling with worry, fear, anxiety. Comfort them by your peace, Lord. That peace found through faith in Christ. For those here today, Lord, who don't know you, here and now I pray by faith, by hope, Holy Spirit, reach deep within to their very hearts. Make them miserable over their sin. And have them flee, run with reckless abandon to the cross by which that burden can be dropped, forgiveness can be found, love can be received, and peace can fill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.